Hi, and welcome to Seeking the Gospel Truth. I'm Giselle Aguiar, and 2022 starts the third year of this podcast and corresponding blog. I go through the Bible chapter by chapter, guiding you, even if you've never read the Bible before. Right now, I'm going through the Old Testament prophets, revealing how Bible prophecies that were written 700 years before Christ predict not just what was going to happen back then, but what happened when Jesus came. They even predict the end times and last days that are coming true right now. I pray that as you hear God's word, it will inspire you to study the Bible daily for yourself. Seek the truth. I pray that God opens your heart, eyes, and mind to understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. And as you become rooted in the word, you'll also be rooted in hope, joy, and peace. Hey, new year, new life. Let's dig in. Ezekiel 43, the glory of God returns to the temple forever. In yesterday's post, Ezekiel watched as God gave him a tour of the final temple. At last, God's glory will return. Remember, the glory of God hung out on the top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, first in the mobile tabernacle or tent of meeting, then in Solomon's temple. We don't know where the Ark ended up. That's still a mystery. What will worship in the final temple be like? Well, let's dig in and find out. In Ezekiel 43, the Lord's glory returns. After this, the man brought me back around to the east gateway. Suddenly, the glory of the, glory of the God of Israel appeared from the east. The sound of his coming was like a roar of rushing waters, and the whole landscape shone with his glory. This vision was just like the others I had seen, first by the Kibar River, and then when he came to destroy Jerusalem. I fell face down on the ground, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple through the east gateway. Then the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner courtyard, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And I heard someone speaking to me from within the temple, while the man who had been measuring stood beside me. The Lord said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place where I will rest my feet. I will live here forever among the people of Israel. They and their kings will not defile my holy name any longer by their adulterous worship of other gods or by honoring the relics of their kings who have died. They put their idol altars right next to mine with only a wall between them and me. They defiled my holy name by such detestable sin, so I consumed them in my anger. Now let them stop worshiping other gods and honoring the relics of their kings, and I will live among them forever. Son of man, describe to the people of Israel the temple I have shown you, so they will be ashamed of all their sins. Let them study its plan, and they will be ashamed of what they have done. Describe to them all the specifications of the temple, including its entrances and exits, and everything else about it. Tell them about its decrees and laws. Write down all these specifications and decrees as they watch so they will be sure to remember and follow them. And this is the basic law of the temple, absolute holiness. The entire top of the mountain where the temple is built is holy. Yes, this is the basic law of the temple. Now we go to the altar. 
These are the measurements of the altar. There is a gutter all around the altar, 21 inches deep and 21 inches wide with a curb nine inches wide around its edge. And this is the height of the altar. From the gutter, the altar rises three and a half feet to a lower edge that surrounds the altar and is 21 inches wide. From the lower ledge, the altar rises seven feet to the upper ledge that is also 21 inches wide. The top of the altar, the, the hearth, rises another um, seven feet higher with a horn rising up from each of the four corners. The top of the altar is square, measuring 21 feet by 21 feet. The upper ledge also forms a square, measuring 24 and a half feet by 24 and a half feet. With, 21 inch, with a 21 inch gutter and a 10 and a half inch curb all around the edge. There are steps going up the east side of the altar. Then he said to me, son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This will be the regulations for the burning of offerings and the sprinkling of blood when the altar is built. At that time, the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, who minister before me, are to be given a young bull for a sin offering, says the Sovereign Lord. You will take some of its blood and smear it on the four horns of the altar, the four corners of the upper ledge, and the curb that runs around that ledge. This will cleanse and make atonement for the altar. Then take the young bull for the sin offering and burn it at the appointed place outside the temple area. On the second day, sacrifice as a sin offering, a young male goat that has no physical defects. Then cleanse and make atonement for the altar again, just as you did with the young bull. When you have finished the cleansing ceremony after another young bull that has no defects and a perfect ram from the flock, offer another young bull that has no defects and a perfect ram from the flock. You are to present them to the Lord and the priests are to sprinkle salt on them and offer them as a burnt offering to the Lord. Every day for seven days, a male goat, a young bull, and a ram from the flock will be sacrificed as a sin offering. None of these animals may have physical defects of any kind. Do this each day for seven days to cleanse and make atonement for the altar, thus setting it apart for holy use. And on the eighth day and on each day afterward, the priests will sacrifice and on the altar, the burnt offerings and peace offerings of the people. Then I will accept you. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. That is Ezekiel 43. Here's some key points. Now, Ezekiel sees a reversal of chapter one and chapter 10, where he watched God's glory leave Solomon's beautiful temple in Jerusalem. Right after Jerusalem was sacked by the Babylonians and the temple was plundered and burned. He heard God coming like a roar of mighty waters, just like what John described in the book of Revelation, um, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. It's interesting that back in chapter 40, Ezekiel described his tour guide as a man whose face shone like bronze. Could that have been a pre-incarnate Jesus or was the pre-incarnate Jesus the Lord that spoke to him here? I don't know. Um, this final temple is built to perfect proportions so the people would be ashamed of their past actions. God hates idolatry. In the millennial kingdom, there will not be any mosque or even a Catholic church in all of Israel. All idolatry will be gone. God plans everything to the littlest detail. 
He does pull the strings of history. We'll see when we get to the book of Zechariah that the Millennial Temple is the last temple. Note that there is no silver or gold in this temple. Solomon's was very opulent. There will be nothing to distract millennial worshipers from King Jesus who is sitting on his throne. Now the question is, why would they need to keep sacrificing since Jesus was our ultimate sacrificial lamb? Pastor Sandy Adams comments, and I quote, in Solomon's temple, hewn or carved altars and steps were prohibited. God didn't want worshipers distracted by a building's art or a priest's skill. Worship wasn't about human ingenuity. It's sad, but throughout history, the church has been guilty of both, elevating preachers and building ornate artistic buildings. I've seen, I've seen some of them. And both have robbed God of his glory. Yet in Ezekiel's temple, we find both hewn altars and elevated altars. Eventually, the presence of Jesus in his temple will be so overwhelming, there will be little chance of anyone being distracted by a priest or a work of art. Also notice there is no veil in Ezekiel's temple because there's no separation between God and man. On the cross, Jesus saw to it that we were fully reconciled. There's also no menorah since in the kingdom age, Jesus is the light of the world. There's also no sacred bread for Jesus is the bread of life. And there's no Ark of the Covenant and Jeremiah 3.16 tells us why. They will say no more the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made anymore. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall be gathered to, um, uh, to shall be gathered to it, to, to the name of the Lord. There's a typo in there. This is an unprecedented development. Throughout Hebrew history, the ark was the symbol of God's presence. It was the ultimate keepsake of Judaism. But when Jesus resides in the temple, the symbol is no longer needed. The substance will overwhelm the symbol. The Ark of the Covenant will be a forgotten relic. Not even Indiana Jones will care to track it down. Sorry, I didn't write this. And there's one more characteristic of this future temple that's so strange. Why the animal sacrifices? In the, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews makes it clear that the sacrifice of Jesus made, but that, that the sacrifice Jesus In the New Testament, the book of Hebrews makes it clear that the sacrifice of Jesus made animal sacrifices obsolete. Since the blood of Jesus cleanses us fully, there's no longer a need for a blood of bulls and lambs. Or is there? Perhaps so. I believe sacrifices are offered in the millennial temple not as an atonement for our sin, but as a memorial to Jesus. The Old, Test the Old Testament sacrifices were all symbolic of Christ and spoke of his work on the cross. Perhaps these sacrifices do the same, but in arrears. Just as communion and baptism remind us of Jesus, these sacrifices may also remind the believers in the kingdom age of what our Lord Jesus did for them. The temple sacrifices lasted a thousand years, from the first temple to the Roman demolition of the second temple. For a millennium, the Jews saw the sacrifices, but never grasped their real significance. It's ironic that they may get a future thousand years to make up for the lost opportunity. They will see Jesus in the sacrifices. And that is from Pastor Sandy Adams. If you want to click on over to my blog, that link is in the show notes. You can um, check out his full 
sermon message on this chapter. Now, something interesting that I just listened to in um, another video, and I've got those, I just embedded them in another bonus post on my blog, um, our series of uh, teachings on the book of Revelation. And one of the things they talked about in the millennial kingdom was that um, there will be born during these thousand years that have to make their own decisions of being uh, born again, you know, um, and that's when after the thousand years, uh, the devil is released. And at that point, anybody that uh, was not a believer had to make the choice of following Satan or following Jesus. So that could be a reason why there are certain sacrifices. So, but that again is in the last thousand years and oh, kind of don't need to worry about that now, <laughs> but that's an interesting thought. But what I'm glad is this world is not all there is. Thank God. My citizenship is in heaven. Jesus is coming back very soon. Look around, watch the news. In fact, I've got some articles that confirm that we are living in the end times and the last days. One is assigned in the Times. Another one is our page on current news, which I keep up. I'm, I'm trying to update it every day. It is crazy, but I'm trying to update it every day. And then I've got the top 10 Bible prophecies coming true right now. So what it comes down to is if you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way nonstop ticket to heaven after you die, or that you won't be left behind at the rapture, which could happen at any moment. This is what you have to do. Believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever and that he rose from the dead three days later. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning. You will complete 180 degree turn in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized by water baptism. Show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's what you have to do. Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift of grace and the confident hope of eternal life. <sighs> in a new heaven and a new earth. Well, if you don't know what to say, if you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes or you can click on open to my blog. I click where it says, I will invite Jesus into your heart. And I embedded two new worship songs that we sang in church today. Um, and what is very, it's like a bride waiting for her groom. We'll be the church ready for you. Ah, and then I'll sing wherever I go. A little, a nice little ditty. It was really good. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Are you a born again Christian with Catholic friends or family members? Have you struggled with how to bring up the truth of Jesus' salvation? I had the same problem, so I put together a free ebook, The Catholic Mission Field in Our Backyards. It's a guide to help you start the conversation and plant the seed that will get them thinking, am I missing something? Check it out. It's a free download on my website. You'll find the link in the show notes. Oh, please, let me know if it helped you. If you're a born-again believer helping a Catholic friend or family member start reading the Bible, it's a great idea to give them one. But which version or translation would be a good one for them? 
There are too many to choose from. As a former Catholic, it helped me to have a Bible translation in plain everyday English. And I know many evangelical Christians are very much attached to the King James Version. That's fine if that's what you grew up with. Remember, Catholics have grown up with priests and nuns telling them they don't need to read the Bible. All they have to do is trust the church to teach them what they need to know, only they don't, and that's the problem. When I first started going back to church, a well-meaning friend told me to get a King James Version. Well, guess what? I got frustrated with the these and thous and stopped reading it, totally defeating the purpose. Eventually, I got the new international version, or the NIV, and that was the best for a new Christian to get into the habit of reading the Bible daily. Today, I also study from the New King James Version, or NKJV, and the New Living Translation, the NLT. I'm now an affiliate of Christian Book Distributors, and I've chosen three study Bibles that would be a great gift for that Catholic or progressive friend whom you'd like to help get into the habit of reading the Bible daily. They are also a great, they're also great for the new Christian believer. Check them out. The link is in the show notes. And by the way, all commissions will be donated to one or more of the Bible translating ministries listed on my site. So give the gift of the word of God and help spread the word while you're at it. Thank you for listening to this episode. I pray that the Holy Spirit, the author of scripture, touched your heart to reveal the gospel truth that our hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to me via my website or social media. I encourage you to read the Bible daily and seek the truth for yourself. I recommend that you download two free Bible study apps, the YouVersion Bible app and Through the Word. Friends, we are living in strange, crazy times, the last days, the end times. But know that things aren't falling apart, they are falling into place. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 20-22, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Jesus is knocking. It's up to you to open the door. Peter told us in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed or perish, but wants everyone to repent. Jesus is coming back soon. Are you ready? Repent of your sins and invite Jesus into your heart right now. If you don't know what to say, there's a prayer in the show notes and on my blog. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory.